Second Chronicles chapter 32, beginning at verse 1. And the first clause, of course, is referring to Hezekiah. And we read, After these things and these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah, and encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them for himself. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and intended to fight against Jerusalem, he planned with his officers and his mighty men to stop the water of the springs that were outside the city, and they helped him. A great many people were gathered, and they stopped all the springs and the brook that flowed through the land, saying, Why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? He set to work resolutely and built up all the wall that was broken down and raised towers upon it. And outside it, he built another wall and he strengthened the millo in the city of David. He also made weapons and shields in abundance and he set combat commanders over the people and gathered them together to him in the square at the gate of the city and spoke encouragingly to them, saying, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him, for there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. After this, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, who was besieging Lachish with all his forces, sent his servants to Jerusalem, to Hezekiah, king of Judah, and to all the people of Judah, who were in Jerusalem, saying, Thus says Sennacherib, king of Assyria, On what are you trusting that you endure the siege in Jerusalem? Is not Hezekiah misleading you that he may give you over to die by famine and by thirst when he tells you the Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria? Has not this same king Hezekiah taken away his high places and his altars and commanded Judah and Jerusalem? Before one altar you shall worship and on it you shall burn your sacrifices? Do you not know what I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of other lands? Were the gods of the nations of those lands at all able to deliver their lands out of my hand? Who among all the gods of those nations that my father, fathers devoted to destruction was able to deliver his people from my hand that your God should be able to deliver you from my hand? Now therefore do not let Hezekiah deceive you or mislead you in this fashion, and do not believe him. For no god of any nation or kingdom has been able to deliver his people from my hand or from the hand of my fathers. How much less will your god deliver you out of my hand? And his servants said still more against the Lord and against his servant Hezekiah. And he wrote letters to cast contempt on the Lord, the God of Israel, and to speak against him, saying, Like the gods of the nations of the lands who have not delivered their people from my hands, so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. And they shouted it with a loud voice in the language of Judah to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to frighten and terrify them in order that they might take the city. 
And they spoke of the God of Jerusalem as they spoke of the gods of the peoples of the earth, which are the work of men's hands. Then Hezekiah the king and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, prayed because of this and cried to the God of heaven. And the Lord sent an angel who cut off all the mighty warriors and commanders and officers in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned with shame of face to his own land. And when he came into the house of his God, some of his own sons struck him down there with a sword. So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and from the hand of all his enemies, and he provided for them on every side. And many brought gifts to the Lord to Jerusalem and precious things to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was exalted in the sight of all nations from that time onward. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And he prayed to the Lord, and he answered him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him. For his heart was proud, therefore wrath came upon him and Judah and Jerusalem. But Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah had very great and honor and he made for himself treasuries for silver, for gold, for precious stones, for spices, for shields, and for all kinds of costly vessels. Storehouses also for the yield of grain, wine and oil, and stalls for all kinds of cattle and sheepfolds. He likewise provided cities for himself and flocks and herds in abundance, for God had given him very great possessions. This same Hezekiah closed the upper outlet of the waters of Gihon and directed them down to the west side of the city of David. And Hezekiah prospered in all his works. And so in the matter of the envoys of the princes of Babylon who had been sent to him to inquire about the sign that, he had, been, that had been done in the land, God left him to himself in order to test him and to know all that was in his heart. Hezekiah was undoubtedly one of the greatest kings of Judah, great from the standpoint of his piety, his devotion to God, great in terms of his administrative oversight of his kingdom, and most notable of his accomplishments was that he had brought about extensive spiritual reform, restoring the proper worship of God in the land of Judah. Hezekiah, as we see in this reading, was a man of prayer. He was a man of piety, he was a man who looked to God, a man who trusted in the Lord, and as a reform and spiritual influencer, his piety is summarily captured in Second Chronicles chapter 31, verses 19 and 20, which reads as follows. Thus Hezekiah, did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. And every work that he undertook in the service of the house of God and in accordance with the law and the commandments, seeking his God, he did all with his heart and prospered. But Hezekiah's life was not without its share of challenges, severe challenges. 
In fact, we see in this chapter two great crises which he faced, two life-threatening crises which he encountered. One was from what could have been the devastation of the land of Judea by the Assyrians. The Assyrians, we know, were uh, reputedly brutal people, very violent, cruel people. And we see here in this chapter how they were not just cruel, but they were crude, they were rude, and they were blasphemous toward the God of Israel. God had tremendously blessed Hezekiah, and twice the Lord mightily delivered him from these crises. He delivered him from that invasion of the Assyrians in verses 1 to 23, and he also delivered him from a near fatal illness. And what's significant was that in both instances of deliverance, God attended those deliverances with signs, with miraculous wonders. And yet for all that, the Lord had done for Hezekiah. Hezekiah, we are told in verse 25, did not honor God. We read in verse 25, but Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him. For his heart was proud, therefore wrath came upon him and Judah and Jerusalem. One version puts it like this. But Hezekiah did not reciprocate according to the benefit placed upon him. Another version renders it. But Hezekiah did not respond appropriately to the kindness shown him. And the point is this. He did not render to the Lord the proper fitting response of gratitude to God that was expected of him. Hezekiah neglected to call to mind and take seriously the abundant kindness and grace of God toward him. He did not return thanks to the Lord for all that the Lord had done for him. And even as he basked in the mercy and grace of God, Hezekiah did not stop to consider, as did the psalmist in Psalm 116 verse 12, the question, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me. What a sad commentary on a man who, as we see in 2 Chronicles 31, 20 and 21, was a man of deep piety. A man who loved God, a man who promoted the cause of God. And the point I want to make to us this morning, even as we look at this account is that we see here the stark, humbling truth that ingratitude, ungratefulness to God is a sin to which not just believers, but indeed believers, the people of God, are susceptible. How easy it is for us to forget God, to forget his blessings, to fail to acknowledge him, to be remiss in thanking him for what he has done for us. How many there are who were in some severe crisis? Let's say trouble within the family. Some serious financial problem. A severe bout of life-threatening illness. And they cry out to God in prayer. They cry out earnestly to God to hear them. Resolving that if ever they were to come out of that distressing situation, if ever God was to deliver them, they would then praise the Lord. They would 
be more committed to him and his service. Well, God in mercy spares them. God delivers them. He brings them out of that crisis. And what is their response? It is back to business as usual. Back they go to their old way of forgetting about God. Back to their old way of ingratitude, of neglect in acknowledging and serving the Lord. And that, my friends, was precisely what Hezekiah did. That is really a human tendency. The tendency of the human heart is to be forgetful of God, is to be dismissive of God, of his blessings, when times are going well. God answered Hezekiah's prayer in delivering him from his enemies. God answered Hezekiah's prayer in raising up from his sickbed from his near fatal illness, but Hezekiah, we read in verses 25 and 26, did not make return according to the benefit done to him. No sooner things turned for the better with his health, no sooner was he back on his feet than he failed to return thanks to the Lord. And that's a trap into which you and I can easily fall. You and I can easily fall into this trap. And truth be told, very often we are guilty of ingratitude to God. Because here's the point. Whenever we find ourselves complaining about our lot, whenever we find ourselves murmuring, whenever we find ourselves in a state of discontent with what we have with our station in life, we are effectively being ungrateful to the Lord. Now, I want for us to hear this this morning, that ingratitude to God is a very, very serious matter. And God does not take kindly to the sin of ingratitude, of ungratefulness to him. In fact, if you look in 2 Timothy chapter 3, where Paul describes there in 2 Timothy chapter 3 conditions that will precede the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, all the dark conditions that will precede the coming of Christ among the things that Paul says there that will be a characteristic feature of the signs. He says this, people will be ungrateful unholy. Do you see what Paul does there? Paul links unholiness with ingratitude, and he throws ingratitude there with a host, with a litany of other ugly, terrible sins. It's a trap into which you and I can likewise fall and fall easily. Here we could state, my friends, as a matter of truth, the point, as we look at Hezekiah's life, that calamities and crises do not necessarily lead one to a positive change or attitude of life. Calamities and crises do not necessarily lead to a positive change of attitude or of life. Thankfully, Hezekiah came to his senses. He repented of his sins, but here's the point. Many a time, God has been good to persons in their distresses, in their calamities, in their crises, and as soon as the problem is over, they forget all about thanking God, living for God, being grateful toward God. The point is, just because one earnestly prays to the Lord for rescue from some troubling situation, 
does not necessarily mean that they will follow through with that resolve to be committed to the Lord, to thank the Lord once the problem is over. In fact, during his illness, if you look at Isaiah chapter 38, verse 15, and you don't have to turn to it, Hezekiah was evidently broken and humbled in his illness such that he resolved to remember what the Lord had taken him through. His words in Isaiah 38 verse 15 were, what shall I say? This is in the midst of his sickness. He is evidently broken before God. He says this, what shall I say? For he has spoken to me and he himself has done it. Here's what he says. I will walk slowly all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. Now, admittedly, this verse is difficult to translate. In fact, if you look at various versions, you will see variations in the translation. But regardless of whatever translation we follow, what becomes clear is that whatever Hezekiah was saying, he was saying in essence that he was broken and humbled by this condition of illness and that he would therefore walk in the future cautiously, being careful to be devoted to the Lord, to thank and pray the Lord. He was saying there that he would live with the memory of God's goodness in extending his life to live more devotedly to him. That's what he was saying. But at the point of verse 25 of our text, notice, even though he had cried earnestly to God, and even though he had made this commitment to God to walk carefully before the Lord, to be more devoted to the Lord, at the point of verse 25 of our text, Hezekiah was far from being humble before the Lord. Do you notice that? But Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him, for his heart was proud. Charles Simeon, an Anglican minister of the late 18th on to the early 19th century, said regarding the proclivity of people to forget the Lord after they have received relief from their distress, he said this, quote, However earnest we may be in a season of affliction, we become remiss and careless when the affliction is removed. We are like metal which is melted in the furnace but returns speedily to its original hardness as soon as it is taken from the fire. Like the Jews, we forget the rock that bought us. Even good Hezekiah requited not the Lord according to all that he had done for him. And too many among ourselves forget to pay the vows which we have offered in a time of trouble, end quote. Read the psalmist's account of God's gracious dealings with Israel and watch Israel's response to God's gracious dealings. The human tendency to be forgetful of God's blessings. Here's what Psalm 78 and verse 11 says. After they had experienced God's blessing, here's what Psalm 78 and 11 says of ancient Israel. They forgot his works and the wonders he had shown them. In response to God's delivering them from Pharaoh's army at the Red Sea, when remember that occasion when they, there was a threat of their being engulfed by the Red Sea, Pharaoh's army was moving in on them, and God mightily and miraculously delivered them. Psalm 106 records, They believed his words and sang his praise, but they soon forgot his work. 
Now the question is, I want to ask this morning, what was behind Hezekiah's ingratitude? He was a man who was very pious, a man who had sold himself out to the cause of God. He had brought about great spiritual reforms. He had reinstituted the worship of God. This man's heart was fervent for God. God had taken him through much, and yet, after those mighty deliverances, we are told that he did not make returns to the Lord. What went wrong? What was wrong? How could he have been so remiss in returning thanks to the Lord? And the answer is found in the next clause of verse 25. The word of God says there, for his heart was proud. Pride, we would say, was what inhibited Hezekiah from responding appropriately to God with gratitude, with thanksgiving. And his prideful attitude is reminiscent of that same attitude by another king, another godly king whom God had greatly blessed and prospered militarily just as he had done Hezekiah. We read of this king, Uzziah, in Second Chronicles 26, verse 16. Here's what the word of God said of Uzziah after God had tremendously blessed him. We read there in Second Chronicles 26, 16, but when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. Isn't that the course of virtually every human heart, indeed, of humanity? We look at our own friends, a country, we who would be truly characterized as the leader of the free world. God has blessed us tremendously. God has caused us to prosper in many respects. And yet for all of God's goodness, where are we today? We have turned our backs on him. We have kicked at him. We have spat on his word. We have done everything to spurn the overtures of his mercies, of his grace toward us. The truth, my friend, is this. We had more quickly kill a turkey than we would be disposed to thanking and praising the living God of heaven. Again, how prone, how vulnerable and susceptible you and I are, even as believers in Christ, to the sin of pride. The sin of of pride, yes, the sin of ingratitude. But let's talk about pride, 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 that self-absorbed arrogance that causes us to be neglectful of the Lord and to be dismissive of his blessings. The thing we need to understand is this, that quite often the reason we are not as thankful as we are or we are inclined to ingratitude is because of pride. And you say, well, but I'm not proud. Here's the point. Whenever we somehow think that we deserve better than we have, we are actually exalting ourselves over against God's sovereign providence. God, who knows better than any other, the tendency of the human heart to ingratitude, the tendency of the human heart to pridefully misrepresent his blessings as the product of one's own achievement, warned Israel even before they entered the land of Canaan in Deuteronomy 8, 7 through 18. Listen to God's warning to Israel concerning the tendency, the temptation 
to ungratefulness. He says, the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose ills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Verse 11, take care lest... You forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, verse 14, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Verse 17, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. What is the word of God saying here? That our hearts are susceptible, the very best, even the very best of God's people, our hearts are susceptible to ingratitude we need to take extra special care lest we fall into this vice, into this horrible sin of ingratitude to God. My friends, how dangerous is this sin of pride which leads to ingratitude. In every way, listen, pride negatively affects our relationship with God. Do you realize that? Yes. To begin with, pride, listen, pride indisposes one to seek after God. That's why, truth be told, we do, do not pray as we should. Why? Because we pridefully rely on our own strength and our own resources. Where there's pride, one has no intention of acknowledging God. One has no real desire for God. Hence, we read in Psalm 10 and verse 4, In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek God. All his thoughts are, there is no God. That's pride, prideful ingratitude. The 17th century English preacher Richard Mayo states regarding pride and its inducement to ingratitude toward God. He says this, quote, Pride causeth unthankfulness. Proud persons, instead of prizing, they despise the mercies of God and think diminutively of them. In other words, they think small of them. They look upon God's gifts as due debts, and instead of being thankful for what they have, they are ready to think that they have not what they do deserve, end quote. It's no wonder that among the seven things, the seven sins that God hates, 
the seven sins that is an abomination to God, heading that list in Proverbs chapter 16, Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, heading that list of seven things that God declares in his word he hates is pride categorized there in verse 16 as haughty eyes. God hates pride. It's no wonder James chapter 4, verse 6 says this, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Here's a challenge for you and me this morning. Are you a grateful person? I'm not talking thanking your family, your friends. When it comes to God, what's your score on being thankful to him? I ask myself that question. That's a challenge for all of us this morning. How thankful are we to God? And here's the second question. If we're not as thankful as we are, could it be that pride is that inhibiting factor whereby we are not praising and thanking God as we should? Pride as manifested by seeking to chart our own course in life. Pride evidence in terms of my understanding, my fleshly, worldly understanding that Everything I have is mine. I work for what I have. You see, if we are prideful, if pride overtakes our heart, then thanking God is going to be quite a challenge. Now, the second question is, how was Hezekiah's pride manifested? His heart was lifted up with pride. Hence, he did not make returns to the Lord. He did not fittingly, appropriately respond to the Lord with thanksgiving. How was that pride manifested? How was it evidenced? We're not told precisely here in this passage. However, we find in Isaiah chapter 39, verses 1 and 2, an incident suggesting the way in which he was prideful, thereby neglecting to thank God for his recovery from his illness. And though the incident is recorded as having occurred after his recovery, the writer of Chronicles seems to be referencing it here in our text as an illustration of how Hezekiah, through pride, did not return thanks to the Lord. We read in Isaiah chapter 39, verses 1 and 2. Listen to Isaiah 39, 1 and 2. This is right in the context of his recovery from his illness. And we read there in Isaiah 39, verses 1 and 2. At that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he had heard that he had been sick and had recovered. And Hezekiah welcomed him, welcomed them gladly. And he showed them his treasure, house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. I wonder if we notice where we're going with this. What is most striking in these verses is that with all the things that Hezekiah discussed with these envoys and with all the things he showed them. There's no indication of, of his having said a word, even a single word, as to what God had so mercifully and graciously done for him. Now, let's be cautious here and say we, 
We can't be dogmatic in saying that because the text doesn't say that. However, even if he did, what is most evident in these verses is that the overriding, the overriding factor was the focus where? On himself. On himself. Let me say this. You know there's a way in which we can acknowledge God verbally before others. But within our hearts, our hearts are so taken up with pride that we bask and we glory in praises. We bask and we glory in our accomplishments. You know who is guilty of that kind of thing? Even as I say it, preachers. Preachers. Because it's easy for somebody to say, man, that was a powerful sermon. That was a wonderful sermon. And we say, oh, thank the Lord. But all the while inside, we are feasting on it. We are glorying in it. We set ourselves up on the throne. With regard to that, here's the point. Pride and ingratitude to God is a very subtle thing. Here it was, my friends, these men, the visit of this delegation from the king of Babylon was a grand opportunity for Hezekiah to exalt the God of Israel to declare to them his proven power and goodness. But rather than glorying in God, he gloried in what? What was he glorying in according to these verses? He was glorying in his wealth. He was glorying in his military might. Here's the point. If Hezekiah's heart was really set on glorifying and thanking God, considering what he had been through, considering the great crisis, man, this man would have been doing what? He would have been singing, he would be talking of nothing but the praises of God. Instead, what was he doing? He was showing his storehouses, he was showing his arsenal, he was showing his riches, he was showing the pomp and the impressiveness of his house and of his kingdom. Which essentially meant that his interaction with the, these men was all about him and what he had accomplished. Not about what the Lord had done. You see, his was the complete opposite of the stance taken by the psalmist who declared in Psalm 115 and verse 1, Not to us, O Lord, not to, unto us, but unto your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. And so in the heights of his pride, Hezekiah, we see then, was forgetful of the Lord. Pride was what inhibited his ingratitude toward God. Pride of accomplishments, pride of possessions, that is evident in the text. Ezekiah was absorbed in what he had, he was absorbed in his accomplishment. And what took center stage when the envoys came from the king of Babylon was what? His accomplishments, his stuff, his goods. Preoccupation, let me just say this, not only was pride a contributing factor, but would you notice second at verses 27 through 30? What was clearly an inhibiting factor with regard to his thanking the Lord. It was not only pride, but here it was. Preoccupation with material concerns. Preoccupation with material concerns. This is the verses 27 through 30. And Hezekiah had very great riches and honor. And he made for himself treasuries for silver, for gold, for precious stones, for spices, for sheaves, and for all kinds of costly vessels, storehouses also for the yield of grain, wine, and oil, and stalls for all kinds of cattle and shepherds. 
He likewise provided cities for himself and flocks and herds in abundance, for God had given him very great possessions. This same Hezekiah closed the upper outlet of the waters of Gihon and directed them down to the west side of the city of David, and Hezekiah prospered in all his works. We see in Hezekiah not only pride, but evidently preoccupation with possessions, preoccupation with material possessions. We could caption verses 27 through 30, access to excess. Access to excess is one of the greatest things that causes people to be forgetful of God, to be not mindful of his blessings, but to bask in them. Remember the rich fool? It was the same with the rich fool, access to excess. Here it was, the land of a rich man had brought forth plentifully. He began to talk to himself, what shall I do? I will tear down my bonds and will build greater. Then I will say to my soul, soul, you have much goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink. And isn't it true, my friends, that one of the greatest temptations, one of the greatest sources of temptations to ingratitude is what we call opulence. Nothing is wrong with opulence. Nothing is wrong with wealth. In fact, the text makes it very clear. If you look at one of the verses we read, it says God had given him, at the end of verse 29, God had given him very great possessions. We, let me just say here, this, I think I need to say it, stress it, because we're living in a time, you see, when if people are wealthy, they are made to feel guilty. Listen, it's a gift from God. Enjoy it. He has given us richly all things to enjoy. There is nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with basking in one's wealth. But here's the point. We had better remember the source of it. What happens here? You see, Hezekiah, it seems, neglected to give God thanks because of access to excess, because his possessions somehow took possession of his heart. Watch that very carefully. If God happens to in his providence, advance us, maybe give us a better job, land us in a, in a career that pays heftily. The temptation we must avoid is becoming so absorbed with things that things enslave us, that we no longer have a mind for God and a mind to praise God and a mind to thank him, realizing the source of our blessings he had been living a great part of his life in prosperity. Yes, God had blessed him, but he had become, grown so used to it. He was basking in the abundance of what he had. It led to pride. It led to idolatry, which, of course, militated against his truly thanking God. Well, finally, what was the consequence of Hezekiah's prideful ingratitude? Look at verse 25. His response, we notice there, invoked the fierce displeasure of the Lord. Because the text says, Therefore wrath came upon him and Judah and Jerusalem. Notice here how that his sin, his own sin of pride, notice what his own sin of pride did. His own sin of pride infected the rest of the nation. What a sobering reminder to us. You see, the point is this. It's a reminder to us that morally and spiritually speaking, a nation never rises above its leadership. Like leaders, like people. That's our society. 
A nation never rises above its leadership. I don't know if you saw a clip recently, and this is something worth noting because nobody has spoken about it as trenchantly as they should. And you see two men getting up, ready for a confrontation, a fist fight. That is a reflection of what is happening on our streets. A nation never rises above the level of its people morally and spiritually. If the head is rotten, what's going to happen? The whole society is going to be infected, is going to be rotten, is going to be polluted. That's what's happening in our time. It's affecting even the church. And that's very serious. Beloved, do we not see here how serious a sin, the sin of ingratitude is? It leads to pride, which eventually incurs the wrath of God. It brought wrath not only upon Hezekiah, but it brought wrath upon the people under his leadership because evidently they too became prideful and arrogant. There's nothing more displeasing to God than ungratefulness. As indicated in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 21, ingratitude to God is one of the many vices that constitute the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men on account of which the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. That's what the word of God says. God hates pride, that attitude of heart that promotes and exalts self, failing to acknowledge him as the source of one's blessing. Psalm 16, verse 5 declares that such are an abomination to him. In fact, that ingratitude is a horrible sin against God, and we're winding down this morning. It's suggested in Isaiah 1, 2 to 4, in which God, we see in Isaiah 1, 2 to 4, is holding court. God holds court against Israel, and in that court session, he calls on creation. He calls on the heaven and the earth, and he notes in his testimony to creation, in his, in his prosecutorial charge against Israel. He summons all creation to note the abnormal, unnatural response of the people of Judah to his grace. A response that is tantamount to ingratitude. We read there in Isaiah 1, 2 to 4, he says, Hear, O heavens, and give air, O earth. For the Lord has spoken, children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know my people, does not consider. God says there in his word that ingratitude is an abnormal thing because even the animals, the dumb animals, acknowledging principle, their master is what he's saying. And the Lord then addresses the people of Judah. Here's what God said to them right in court. He says this, Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offsprings of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. The good news this morning is this, that yes, verse 26, Hezekiah came to his senses. But we are told there in verse 26, but Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. Let me close with an abiding lesson we, we can glean from this passage this morning. And it's this, that every blessing you and I receive from God obliges us to gratitude to him to love him, to serve him. 
As the psalmist appropriately responds to God's mercies in Psalm 116, verse 1, he says this, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. The point is this, that thanksgiving is a debt you and I owe to God continually. And even though we can never fully pay this debt, the least we can do is, as someone has said, to acknowledge it. To acknowledge it. We ought to thank him. Every breath we take is a token of his mercy and his grace. That being the case, and given our susceptibility to ingratitude, it means then that we should endeavor by his grace to constantly take inventory of his many blessings to us and express gratitude to God for them. And we see in Psalm 103, verse 2, the psalmist himself was intentional in this regard because he actually called himself to account. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless the Lord and forget not all his benefits. And he begins to list a whole slew of blessings he had received from the Lord. And then finally, given our proneness to forgetting the blessings of the Lord, we should, as a matter of habit, Give thanks to God in all circumstances, realizing that this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for us. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17, which necessarily involves our habitually, constantly, habitually discerning the providential hand of God in our lives, in all our experiences. If we get in the habit, you see, of discerning the hand of God, his providential hand of God in everything that happens in our lives, then we will be on our way to thanking and praising him. Here's the truth. Truth be told this morning, we all stand guilty before him because we have not thanked him enough or as often as we should. But we thank God that he's a God of grace and mercy. Let us endeavor by his grace to ever thank and praise him.